0: This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Kyle Nash with you here. Uh, We've also got Bryson Turner hanging out with us today on what is a, a busy show, some We got a little bit of everything, some big stories, some interesting not-so-big stories. We're going to talk about football. We didn't get the chance to talk about uh, 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 Darren Hinshaw because we kind of split it. The shows up, so we'll analyze that in segment number two. We will talk about uh, some breaking news out of women's soccer, a UCL player getting drafted and staying home. We'll tell you who and when and where. Uh, and, uh, a couple other things that we wanted to talk about too, but first we got to talk about that basketball game last mm-hmm. night. Make sure you follow us at UCF banner at underscore SBN, facebook.com slash blackmail banner We're also on Instagram and YouTube. Um, what can you say if you were there, man, you experienced one of the great UCF basketball games Certainly in the program's time in the American, probably in the last, probably certainly this, I I would argue this century, probably at least. Um, The uh, UCF and Memphis, Penny Hardaway, of course, coming back into town. The game goes to double overtime and UCF pulls it out 107-104 in a game that had pretty much everything. (laughs) Uh, the Knights advanced to 13 and 4, 4-1 four and in the American. Uh Ithiel Horton led the way with 30 points. He made five threes he, uh, uh, he w- in 45 minutes. CJ Kelly, who at times was running on fumes out there, 21 points uh in 37 minutes. Uh 12 of 13 at the line. This game just, I mean, it was it was just a slugfest between two. High-level teams play, uh, you know, uh, on high-level nights. And here, here's the thing that I think was amazing about this game. And, uh, <clears throat> Kyle, we're going to start with you here. So UCF gets word before the game. First of all, we know CJ Walker's out for the year. Right. Darius Johnson's out. We know that. Then they get word before the game. Michael Durr has a broken hand. He's going to be gone for a while. So without those three guys, arguably, could argue, three of your top four guys coming into the season. Then, on top of it, during this wild game, you're starting Jalen Young at point guard. He fouls out. Your most talented player on the roster, Taylor Hendricks, fouls out with 12 points in 37 minutes. And they still find a way to beat Memphis in double OT. Um, Came back from – blew a 13-point lead, came back from down 14 – and still figure this out. I, I just sometimes there's a game that happens where you just at a loss for words. And for me, this was one of them. But what did you think,
1: man? Listen, and and, and th- th- this I wasn't there for this one. Bryson, uh, Bryson was, and Nick was, but uh, f- for me, like I would, I would imagine that I would have felt similar as I did to the Michigan game last year, were I in the building. And, and it, but by the way, I'm sure you see a fans uh, among that list of adversities that you put out there, Jeff, they would also add the officiating to that list. Um, but, you know, we won't do that in an official capacity, but I'm sure the fans would, I'll put it that way. But listen, I, 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 while, I, while that all is surprising, listen, I don't know how many games the hot Tunes going to start this year, but here's what I do know. This is the proof in the pudding of what Johnny Dawkins was talking about when he said he had the deepest front court since that group that had um, taco fall and all of those guys that, that was made proof, putting proof in the pudding here tonight with that over and above, you know, you're talking about the excellent shooting display. Here's where the anomalies continue, by the way, if you're a stat guy, 16 of 35 from three, so what you're telling me is they made yeah. basically half their three-pointers shooting it from the line, from the arc, I should say, over 30 times?
0: By the way, tied a school record, most three-pointers made in the game was 16.
1: Right, and I think... And, oh, I'm sorry, and Ky-
0: Kyle, forgive me, and 33 of 37 at the free-throw line.
1: Right, right. I mean, yeah, C.J. Kelly, 12 of 13 by himself, Um, and you mentioned Horton, 9... Uh, nine free throw points, as well as Suggs with seven. Suggs is the unspoken uh, 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 guy, too, as well. We don't talk enough about him, but he started uh, uh, here in a situation where he normally isn't in the starting lineup, but this is what we're talking about with a positionless basketball situation. That's right, just to the extent that their seven-footer Michael Durr is out, and it just didn't matter. They still got the win. Now, you know, maybe their rebounding number's Would have been better. 41 in a triple overtime game isn't great, but, you know, okay, I'm nitpicking at that that point, right, fellas? Six blocks? That's an insane stat. You know, granted, two of them were by Taylor Hendricks, and and, and the guards had two themselves from Ithiel Horton and CJ Kelly, but nonetheless, this is this is what we were talking about with the versatility of this group. This is what CJ Kelly was talking about in himself as an oversized guard. He's expected to do a little extra. Seven, listen, seven assists with a block, and also five rebounds on his own. That's a lot for a guard. Listen, CJ Kelly's been having five, six rebound games throughout the season. This is a thing yeah. that's happening, you know, he's like he's like
0: a stretch one, at least. And so, I mean, I mean, he was the people were they were dragging him off the floor at the end of this game. And two Memphis guys were get, actually actually I saw at least two Memphis players being carried off the floor by their army of about 20 assistant coaches last night. I've never seen so many assistants and staff members on a team in my entire life. But e- Eric, I want to go to you here. Kendrick Davis for Memphis. He was one of the two guys who was getting dragged off the floor. 46 minutes, 10 of 23 from the field, 21 of 23 from the line, 42 points for Memphis. And yet he still, he still wasn't enough. He tried, he even had it down to the game ending shot. Uh, didn't go in. And I thought that the guy who down the stretch, as Kyle alluded to, who did the best job for UCF defensively was Brandon Suggs. And yeah, he finished with 17 points and, uh, Uh, six uh, rebounds on the night, four of 10 shooting, seven to seven at the line was Brandon. But when they went to, you know, when Petty went ISO with Davis at the top, which was, well, basically every possession, especially down the stretch, and Suggs met him up top, it was lockdown, man. And, And yeah, okay, Kendrick won a few of those battles. Brandon won a few of those battles. But the thing is, I think he wore him out. He made him work for every bucket, and it showed down the stretch because Memphis – I thought UCF would be the tired team, and Lord knows, I mean, it's not like they weren't tired because the rotation was so short. Right. But, man, I thought Memphis, uh, you know, in that double – in that second overtime, they ran out of gas, Eric.
2: Well, part of that is because Penny didn't substitute, and Johnny had no choice. He had to substitute – because Taylor Hendricks yeah. and Young both fouled out at the end of regulation. So you got guys like P.J. Edwards.
0: Yeah, P.J. Edwards, wow. who
2: <laughs> only played 37 minutes all year, scored only four points all year, scores eight in the first two overtimes, fresh body. Um, and well, he hit a couple key
0: threes, too. Harry.
2: Three, right. And yeah. They, they were looking for him, uh, and they were confident. And that's the difference between this team and I think the last couple of teams is – and, Kyle, you and I have talked about this in previous episodes and, in, and when we've been hanging out – this team has different ways of scoring, whereas the last couple of years, you knew it was basically if these two guys or three guys don't score, that they're, they're done. This team has a lot of different ways of finding ways to score. And, you know, this was one of – this was Coach Dawkins' best game, head coaching-wise. for the, You know, this was an, a masterpiece. He made a subtle adjustment that nobody brought up. He moved C.J. Kelly back to this bench and put in Suggs in the lineup for matchup purposes, mm-hmm. also to help Kelly – uh, to help Young run the offense as kind of a de facto point guard. So when Young needed a breather, he can bring in Kelly. So he made some subtle moves there. Uh, and and But the guys in the bench, they outscored Memphis 39 27. Think about it. You just outscored Memphis, who's the basketball school, 39 27. And you were the shorthanded team. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, know,
2: I Yeah. I think that was a factor. And look, Kendrick Davis is one of the five best point guards in the country, arguably the best player in the league. I mean, you he, was, the, I he was,
0: he was, he was unstoppable last night it was really a performance well the, you, mentioned ISO, you mentioned the
2: iso you mentioned the iso that was what penny ran it with the magic right. with brian hill post shack that was the post when Shaq would be injured for all oh, you longtime magic fans back when they actually had a professional basketball team in town oh you um, mean that
1: geiger yeah that <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> ronnie cycling um that was their offense was penny running iso uh when he was in his prime in his peak so it it wasn't i mean that Remind when Kendrick was doing reminded me a lot of what penny did. So it didn't surprise me the style of the offense they were running. Um, You know, and obviously the officials were big fans of Kendrick Davis uh, on that night as well. Uh by sending him to the line every time if you blew, you know, if you blew wind on him, but you see, I've overcame all that. And that's the big thing is this team didn't blink. They were down 14 with 16 to go in regulation. They were blitzed 16, nothing in the start of the second half. Memphis gave them a hailmaker. Past, I think UCF teams in the last few years would have just that's it, it's done, we're done. That, that thing turns into a 20 30 point game, but this UCF team hasn't flinched all year long, and that's part of their characteristic in DNA.
0: Yeah, I, I I was it was they just withstood the, the with the charge, it was really something to see them work back into the game. Bryson, go ahead, you were there. The, I, I thought here's the other thing that, that I'd like you to, to speak on because. Best crowd, I thought in terms of noise, the best crowd of the year so far. The students are back, right? So I think that was key. The student section was packed. The official attendance was 6,800, but man, was it loud. and it, It certainly, I thought, affected the game, especially in the second half and the two overtime periods.
3: To quote the commercial appeal, it was a quote-unquote small but fervent crowd, which I love the salt on that. But yes, the atmosphere in Edition Arena was absolutely electric. They were bringing the there were some points where they were felt like they were bringing the roof off the place there were some points I, I told Nick who Nick Porcelli was sitting next to me I was saying like they were the cheers seemed to be a little soft muted in the second overtime and I'm thinking like I think they're tired because they've been cheering for so long <laughs> it was such an amazing Kendrick Davis one point off from scoring the most points in an AAC game in conference history you have the 33 free throws made fifth most in program history, first time since 2015 that either UCF or a UCF opponent has gotten over 100 points. CJ Kelly is right up there, the 12 free throws. That's the 10th, that's tied for 10th most in a single game in program history. Like, this was a history-making performance, gentlemen. I was talking with Kyle at hula ball practice today, and I was thinking, and I told him, like, last year's team would never could never have done this in a a similar situation in a similar situation now to grant you he they had that Michigan performance but that was in regulation this was a double overtime marathon that had you foul out a couple of players after teams players that were already injured and they still won P.J. Edwards the hero amazing three-point shooting the three-point shooting kept them in this game which was absolutely amazing P.J. Edwards going two for five you you had heroes everywhere on this court well coached game from johnny dawkins i mean this is an amazing basketball game to watch
0: yeah it's it's gonna go down i think is one of the and, and by the way i don't remember the last time eric maybe you you've seen this on the uh in the media guide last time ucf had multiple multiple overtime games in the same season
2: Oh, well, yeah, I don't know about that. We can can blame Kyle for this. He's missed two major games this year, and they (laughs) both went double overtime. Uh, So I hope this Jaguar-Charger game was worth it, Kyle, because you missed one of the greatest uh, basketball games ever played in that arena. I mean, I've been going to that arena since it opened. I mean, there was a triple overtime game about 15 years ago against Tulsa, which was very memorable. Uh, The Cincinnati game, senior night, I'm going to give a shout-out to Brian Murphy because he would scream because that's one of his favorite games. That was the moment where I think everybody felt you clinch that berth for the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Crowd storms the court. Johnny talks to everybody. Obviously, Jeff, you and I were at the Illinois quarterfinal game. Yep. Uh, that's a significant historical moment game there as well. Uh, and then you obviously, I got to think to the Houston game and game day in 2019 when they won in Houston. Those are some of the that was in Houston. So those are more significant wins. But as far as pure entertainment, drama, emotion, storyline. Uh, that game is hard to beat considering how shorthanded UCF was, <laughs> what this game could mean for the rest of this year as far as the postseason. And I think, and I wrote about this on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Thank you. You imagine the crowd. It was a great crowd. And Memphis can scoff all they want. And, you know, look, they'll enjoy drawing big crowds for North Texas next year. That a. Speaking of salt. The crowd... I thought made a big impact in the game, and the players See talked. See your kosher. Moment. Yeah, uh, but the players made a big impact. I think the they fed the players fed off the crowd, and yeah. they're going to need that. I think for the Houston game in a couple of weeks, and for the rest yes. of it. But more importantly, I said, you know, it's incredible as crazy as Wednesday night was in the Big Twelve. That's just a routine Wednesday night, <laughs> and I'm uh, yeah. That. And so they this program to have uh opportunity, a chance to compete and be successful in the big 12 in basketball. They're going to need that support from the students, from the community. uh, And from those UCF fans that, uh you know, like to chat, think they're, they say they're basketball people, but they haven't been to the arena in forever. Name and, names, Eric. Come on. I'm just saying, I mean, Kyle missing double <laughs> overtime. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Kyle.
1: Um, hey, listen, something's got to pay the bills, Eric, you know, that life.
2: I know that life too well. Um, but no, look, that's the atmosphere you're going to need when you move on to the Big 12. And I think also, look, they've got the right coach to go to the Big 12, so we need to end that debate if there was a debate. I don't think there was. Whatever. Johnny Dawkins knows what he's doing, and you guys mentioned it. Look at what he's done, and I wrote this on the banner. Ethel Horton, nailed it on the portal. Jalen Suds, solid pick in the portal. C.J. Kelly, you right? people are like, Psh, C.J., boom, nailed it young baton rouge community college what might be the most valuable player when you consider the injuries to Darius johnson this year johnny dawkins knows how to get guys in the, the
0: portal and even he's though he didn't play last night michael Durr. he's been a hit
2: michael durr has been solid hit too uh and we'll see now i think as we'll get into with these injuries i think we're going to see more I have, of tune coming up <clears> a <throat> lot tune coming up moving forward he's the other transfer yep oh by the way you know who recruited taylor hendricks the greatest recruit ever in ucf basketball history oh that's right that was johnny dawkins Beep. so <laughs> He's the right guy for the league. And I am optimistic that UCF can compete in the league because they got the right coach. I think they'll get better players as they get into the league. The two big questions is, will they have enough fan support and will they have the resources uh, that to, to be to seen? We don't know. But I thought that Wednesday night was a, is a great step for the program in that regard. All All right,
1: have so, oh, a ahead, I know that Eric lives in the house of negativity and skepticism, but you're talking about Tuesday nights on the in the Big 12. Have we already forgotten the scare they gave Houston for goodness sakes? None of us had that game being that close. Hell, they were up by, uh, by what six points They uh, for uh, up in the second uh, half. Yeah. I,
0: I think they look back at that game and they're like, We we left that one on the table.
1: Well, but I they're gonna have their
2: chance in, look, they're gonna have their chance in
1: two weeks. A B right. the way that Houston put out mocking tweets about them, and got that scare. Folks, another night in the Big 12, this team looked more prepared for it than anything else we've I seen. Agree. No, it's I agree, Kyle. In. I agree. And then Memphis happened. I agree Whoa. with you.
2: I agree. No, I yeah. agree. I Look, I'm not saying that UCF's going to be a major contender in the Big 12 right away, but oh, remember, sure. <laughs> the thing about the Big 12, and we're seeing it this year, where it's going to stay this way, you can go 6-12 and 12 in the Big 12 and make the tournament easily. You can't do that in the American. And that's...
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, oh, uh, six and 12, I'm
2: telling you the way this league's going, the big 12 is probably at a seven, eight bid league pace right now. I mean, it's the, it's uh, a, 500, 500 in the league. No, 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 no. Seven and 11 going to get you in. They've
1: gotten teams. Well, the fact in, it, that it, we're yeah. even having this argument displays right. the point greatly.
2: Right. And, Whereas in the oh, American, you don't have that luxury. That's yeah. why it's what that is the benefit. We yeah, focus. the margin on. of error is small. You have a bigger margin for error. And look, this right. team beat Oklahoma state, which is one of the other teams that could make the tournament there. So, uh, it's positivity, positive for UCF. I think hopefully the fans keep coming out. Could be a historic game in two weeks. UCF's never hosted a number one ranked team in basketball. At home. Well,
0: let's talk, let's talk about that because here's the concern that I have. Right? By the way, interestingly enough, look at the net rankings there. UCF, by virtue of beating Memphis last night, jumped two spots from 37 to 35. Memphis, by virtue of losing the game, it actually helped them more. They jumped three spots from 57 to 54, but like you mentioned, number one, Houston. They're number one in the net. They're number one in the in the polls. They're coming in two weeks on the 25th, but there are still two games between now and then. Uh, The first one is with the team that UCF is tied within the conference standings. That's the Tulane Green Wave, who are 11 and five on the season, four and one in the conference. That game is going to be on the road in New Orleans. And here's the thing with that, gets, that, that I get worried about is this game is in two days. It's on Saturday at 2 p.m. ESPN+. Plus. And you got to make sure after this double OT meat grinder that you just went through <laughs> that is your already limited rotation rested enough to, for that game. And, you know, I understand that, you know, it's a it's a road game and everything. And, you know, I think you had mentioned to us earlier that if they lose the game, it's still a quad. I think you said it would be a quad two.
2: Quad two game, right? Now, this is a quad two game, game which is significant, right. I mean, on, on the road. Which
0: it, it does, in the net, it doesn't hurt you quite as bad as if it was a quad four game. But, you know, at the same time, you don't want to start, you know, it, you don't want the win at Memphis to beat you down the road because you're constantly behind the sticks in terms of rest and making sure you, you all your guys are 100% because it's a long conference season.
2: Oh, it is. And look, Tulane was a team that was a trendy sleeper pick before the year by basketball people. They had injuries in the non conference that kind of cost them, it, uh, but they've gotten healthier. They beat Memphis, as a matter of fact, most recently uh coach hunter likes to push the ball that's going to be a, pay, a game of tempo like it was with Memphis uh not an easy game at all I mean I think Tulane could easily could be a top four team in this league if they stay healthy it's funny these two teams just want to be healthy um so trust me Tulane doesn't want to hear about UCF's injury issues they've had that issue so it's a big challenge we don't know obviously how you know it's gonna be a you know you lose a couple days you're obviously not gonna have Michael Durr's out for a while Johnny Dawkins confirmed that Injured, uh, fractured his hand there at the SMU game. Uh, Darius had yeah, a rap on his,
0: a wrap on his hand yeah. out there. That was the.
2: Yeah. You already lost C.J. Walker. Darius Johnson. Word from the program: they hopeful maybe he could play Tulane, but I think more realistic. UCF after Tulane doesn't play again until the following Saturday against South right. Florida. So you maybe give him that extra week and get him a hundred percent ready to go for the rest of the of the ride. Uh, the rest of the season there. So, you know, I think those are a couple things to watch for in the Tulane game. Tempo's a key. But the big thing is, with Durr out, CJ Walker's out for the year. This team's a little thin now in the front court. It's going to be interesting how Coach Dawkins handles the front court, as I wrote about on Banneret. If you go big, you've got – you may have to depend on Tune to play more minutes. Uh, maybe you play the youngsters, uh, Tiago uh, Silva.
0: Tierno Silva.
2: Tierno Silva.
0: Silva. Silva. Silva.
2: I'm gonna see if the spanner gets me in trouble there. Um, <laughs> or if you go small, do you go with Ty and Freeman? Do, does PJ? Well, it, it, well, more minutes. It's gonna I, be interesting how what that staff does.
0: Well, I think what you brought up was interesting because when uh, Jalen Young fouled out, and I thought this was this was pretty key. They actually yanked the hot tune out of the game because he actually started at center. Went small. They went small. Ty was the largest guy out there. Wow. For most of the two overtimes. Wow, and they pulled and, it off. They were and, and, run, they were running with yeah, they were running with uh, what is it? CJ, Ithiel, uh, PJ, uh, Ty, and I, I forget who else was out there for, for the bulk of it. But um, but yeah, they went they went small and figured it out
1: so what i'm hearing you tell me is coach johnny dawkins was aware listen we're gonna go small i got two guys with fresher legs than dudes that have been out there for 30 40 well and he made little. penny go
2: small and, too by the
0: way yeah but was small. the other guy Suggs was the but, other
1: guy but that's what i mean maybe he went small too true well uh, to that point too it also goes with the leg freshness too uh, a big guy who's tired isn't gonna run either i hear you there eric but yeah. yeah listen at the end of the day i'm glad all the dawkins haters have been silenced for now By the way, I think Tyam
2: Freeman, the last two games, going back to SMU and this game, he's kind of found some things here. And I think he's one that benefits from that small lineup. And when UCF goes fast and open court, like Memphis game was kind of his type of game. He could be the wild card here. If UCF yeah. decides to go small moving forward was, in some of these matchups, he was
0: really key, I thought. And even though it didn't, he didn't show it, it it didn't show that much in the scoring, he contributed in two key ways. Number one, he was rebounding the hell out of the ball and throwing his body right. And then I think the other thing, and this was this was this is something that I think is really unique for him. For a guy who's really a a true three, he can handle the ball really well. He was key in breaking Memphis's press. Made that they two were big trying to run. Throws
2: too, late in the, that yep. overtime. had that had that three point play. A great three point play made a couple yep. big free throws. I mean, that, he's a great athletic guy. He hasn't played to the level that we, <laughs> you know from last year. But remember, he was coming back from an injury. He's a guy yep. to watch. I think for this team to continue to have success moving forward, I think Ty and Freeman's going to be the key guy here off the bench.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. We had everything in that game. <laughs> we had a, we had a five minute delay because of a scoring error. Uh, that and that was. Mark Daniels is ready to fight someone. I I, I was, kept... I'll, t- I'll tell you something. I, I was, you know, that, that uh, Simpsons meme with uh, what's his name? He's in the bus and he's like, hey, I'm in danger.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that was, that was me at the you score. Cause <laughs> yeah, cause uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was Ralphie in, in, in that game, man, because the official score sits right next to me. And, and I saw where like the confusion w- was happening. And I was like, and, it, it turns out like so here's the thing that everybody needs to know the official score is basically unofficial right That's why he wears the, the official official shirt. You could have a, a, a 10,000 seat arena full of everyone keeping score of exactly the right way all right and they could all say it was I think it was one it was, it was it was 102 to 100 You could have the whole arena everybody saying we have 102 points. If that book says you have 101 you have one on one. That book is the law, and we did. And, and it took us a minute. It, it took everybody a minute. They were actually looking back through the law. And here's here, here's one of those things where it's like, it was kind of Murphy's Murphy's law. And there's a corollary to Murphy's law that says that you know whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And and the corollary to it, I forget what it's called, but it's like and it will do so at the worst possible time. <laughs> uh, and. So it happens in the double OT in a one possession game. And also going back to the beginning, there was no live stats.
2: Oh, I'm aware. I'm aware for
0: the whole game because the computer crapped out right at, uh, uh, right at uh, tip. So you have the official score now. The The live stats are unofficial, but, you know, I sit in between those two guys and, and we see, you know, it, it, they always double check. With each other, right? Just to make sure that what's up on the web is what's correct in the official scorebook. But they couldn't do that because the electronic the score system was down. So everyone was running around trying to figure out what it was. But finally, you know, it was believe it or not, it was it was Ty's three point play um, that was the was where the point was missing. It was the free throw after that. But we, figured, but we figured it out. All's well that ends well. I saw, I'll I t- I tell you the truth, man. It was, it, was, it was an entertaining few minutes. I don't know about the folks on TV who were probably no, like, I oh, my gosh. But it was a pretty entertaining few minutes down there, let me tell you. But we I figured was, it out. We got it right. We got I, it right.
2: I, I, I kind of overheard it. I was listening on the radio, which was entertaining on the radio broadcast. I'm actually, folks, we're hoping to have Taylor Young for the site some point this weekend he's traveling i'm gonna ask him about that if we have him because that that was a story in itself uh that was entertaining and full disclosure i you're right you didn't have no stats I idm bryson during i'm like dude i need a you need to put grab a final box if you get one and take a photo and send it to me, so I can write my recap. And he's like, "Well, I mean, the, the so-and-so site has it." I'm like, "I'm looking at the site, I'm like, uh, no, they don't. They don't have all the details that I ESP, needed."
0: yeah, but the 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 whole electronic scoring yeah. system went down. ESPN speed was was down. Right. right. All they could display was the score. Yes. You know, yes. the score and the time. They didn't have any any what's, numbers. It, and it's what's funny is it was rough.
2: I listen to the radio because Mark, uh, for those who know, he's professional. Keeps. His own book, yes. yep, uh, which is a very old school, At, forget, like you know, credit. It, you like, know. if you're
0: a, a young broadcasters out there, yeah, keep your own score because, yeah, we that's learned was, because uh, we never had electronic monitors in the old arena, so we I, did it ourselves,
2: exactly. yeah, right. And so, that's I listened to him because I knew that was the only I knew he had that because he's told me that I've seen him, he's shown me the book, yep. so I l- actually tuned into the audio because I knew he was going to give me stats were because I once, you know, it was verified. I confirmed the stat tracker issues through Bryson and company that were at the game. I'm like, all right, I need to get some details so I can help figure out <laughs> in my head how am I going to write this. Little did I know that I would go into double overtime, and I would be writing until two in the morning. But hey, there you go. <laughs>
3: We won though. It's all about it was, well, hey. Look, I'll we bottom this.
0: line is we got it right. We got yeah. it right.
3: Jeff, I will say this. When we when we were up there, when you said near the end of the first overtime period, because I remember this specifically, you said first overtime. Like you like there are X minutes left. I got there. it. Like yeah. when first overtime's over. You jinxed it, Jeff. You I, it.
0: By the way, that's the second time that's happened this year. And Alex Cesarano, who's who's in charge of uh in-game experience for UCF, he's like, Jeff don't do it. Don't say first overtime, just say overtime. And I asked him after the actual game, I said, I said, I'm not trolling, man. I'm just, I'm just curious why I was. And he's like, it's, he's like, you're, he's like, it's, you're hundred percent accurate. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't jinx it. And I was like, but right, you're killing me all- <laughs> and then, but then I said it, uh, I said it uh, with one minute to go because I, I always get the one minute warning. You know, one minute to go in the first overtime because you know there's a non-zero chance you can go to another overtime. And I'm trying to get it right first. That's my first job. And and the second I said it, I was like, Oh man, I'm gonna hear Alex. No. I know where this is going. And Jeremy Panagos, who runs the game, sits to my right, he like tapped me on the shoulder. He's like, You did it again. I was like, Oh my God. So I take full, I take, I take, I accept full responsibility. That's for a pretty that.
2: intense, uh, stressful night in the table there by everybody. Holy! Uh,
0: it's, it's stressful for some. For me, it was a blast. Oh my <laughs> god! It was incredible. What a game! Oh, it, holy there, smokes! We-
3: up there, Nick and I Nick, uh Nick and I went <laughs> back and forth with each other, going insane. Like we were like, one, because we he had class to get to the next day. And for me, I had hula ball. And so we were like, this is game is still going, and but it's yeah, also a great yeah, It's a three game. hour game. Two hours ball. and
0: two hours and 47 minutes. But I tell you, it was worth it. So um Tulane on Saturday. Uh that's gonna be, but you know, let's let's see if they can recover. Fortunately, the road trip's not all that long. I mean, it's, it's not like we're going out to Tulsa or Wichita usf the week after that and uh and then number one houston in on the 25th assuming that all continues to go as it will be you see uh, houston would be
2: oh you will be back for at least team. number one in the net right
1: yeah I, no the plan is that i'll be there for houston right all right so
2: no double overtime that
0: night. yeah no, okay. all right so yeah. and so that'll be big uh we got to talk about the women real quick who had a decidedly less entertaining time uh with their last game they did play houston and uh UCF's old uh, assistant, Ron Huey, at Houston, but the Knights have now lost three in a row in conference and lost 80 to 42 uh on Tuesday to Houston after they lost by uh five to Tulsa uh at home in a tight game. But um I I man, I don't know what happened here, but um, they fell down early and it was just a a, a, a stampede of turnovers uh, for this game. have turned the ball over in a 40 minute game, 38 times. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you can out rebound Houston, which they did by the way, by nine, 46 to 37, um, all you want. Uh, but if you turn the ball over 38 times, you are going to lose. And that's what happens. I, I, it, here here's where, here's where it gets interesting, and uh, ELO, I want to get your take on this first. All right, here's T.M. Messer. You're 9-6, and six. got off to a pretty good start, three-game losing streak in non-conference, won three in a row, you know, to, to going into conference wave, but now you're 0-3 in the American. You lost three in a row. You're coming off a game like that. Are you throwing that game out, or are you saying, look, we need to get back to basics here before they play wichita state at home on sunday at 1 p.m
2: all of the above all of the above well you got to
0: choose one man you gotta <laughs> uh, we have
1: so much time
2: i would do all of the above and i would also start thinking who is the guy that has that great tie that covers us because we yeah. win we win games when he's in the building i don't know <laughs> get him back here um no look um the thing that I would throw it out, I mean, it's one of those things, but I do think they got to work on a lot of things. I thought there was a lot of careless turnovers. Uh, I think they panicked once they fell behind. They started just chucking the ball, not really moving the ball. Mm-hmm. And look, they're going to have to understand this. Teams are right now gunning for them. Like the Houston player, they interviewed a Houston player after that game, and they said, we, I haven't beaten UCF since I've been here every team now wants to get they better. got the they got the
0: crosshairs on their back right now they yep.
2: want to get UCF back for the last handful of years uh because UCF let's be real like the past years UCF has had their way in the league and for the most part except for like USF and maybe in one other team or whatever but they usually win and they've won with a swagger and now teams are trying to get back at them so you you come back home against Wichita State on Sunday that's the good news just get back get that first win in the conference and maybe everybody can kind of exhale but Kyle We've talked about the depth of this team. They don't have depth inside, and teams are starting to try to exploit some of their youthness, especially in the backcourt, and Houston did that very well by turning them over as many times as they did. 38 turnovers turned into 47 Houston points.
1: Right, and, and well, I'll say this. You talk about the lack of depth. It's not in the frontcourt anymore. Listen, Nay Hutton and Desto are a thing. Taylor Gibson may be a raw player, but she comes yeah. in and handles business. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh,
0: by the way, forgive me, Kyle, but real quick, uh, to your point, UCF is 11th in the country in rebounds per game and 7th in the country in offensive rebounds per game. So you're absolutely right about the front court.
1: Right. Yeah. And then Rachel Ranke comes in and, and does some stuff. She's a guard, but I don't know why other than the fact that she has an ability to get super hot shooting, which she's done twice in two of their wins. But that's the, that's the problem with the guards right now. You're relying on, on, on Ranke who. Um, is streaky and not to say that that makes her a bad player, but, you know, some games she's there uh, from on the arc and some she's not, and you're relying on somebody who is a backup this time last year and Layla Jewett, and you're relying on a true freshman in Sierra Godbolt. By the way, not to take away from Brianna Hardy if we're talking about that uh, front court. See, this is why I had to correct you on the front court depth, Eric. I forgot somebody who matters in Brianna Hardy as a freshman who has gotten starting time, by the way, while Ney Hutton was out with injury. But, yeah, the guards, listen, this group's been exposed. It is what it is, and they all had a bad night at the same time against a team, as, as you informed me, Eric, that attacks with the press. It was, I, I, I think. Old court it,
2: they like to put pressure on the guards. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. So uh, I think this was an element of a perfect storm game, and you got the disaster that sunk, junk, sinks, uh, George Clooney's boat. You know, no question. Um, and I think if you're going to concentrate on anything in practice, it is breaking the press.
0: George mm-hmm. Clooney. Where'd you get George Clooney from?
2: The perfect, right? the perfect storm
1: stormy, dog.
0: I'm an ocean's. Alone. You know, Murph leaves and. No one knows anything about movies. That's true.
1: Don't you dare say no one, sir. That's true. Too. So
2: by the way, first I mean, time first time UCF has started 0 3 in the American since the last coach's first year.
0: Coach Abe's first year, yeah.
2: Things did work out after at the long run there. So you know, 0-3. That was the last time they started 0-3 in the league. Hopefully they don't start 0-4 against Wichita. But, uh, Kyle, I'm starting to worry. I gave you all the credit for last year's conference championship. I'm starting to worry that maybe you weren't the reason they won the league. I'm just worried. I'm just...
1: <laughs> Man, I, 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 I'm i sorry to disappoint you, Elo. Well, hey, in my defense, you know, according to you, I haven't been there enough. So, you know, I mean... That's true. If, we don't have these, a full picture yet. If these bolt Listen, the bowl committees need to get with uh, Coach Messer and do a better job scheduling next year. That's That's what it is.
0: Well, uh, like Eric, like you were saying, I mean, this is a big home back to back that they're going to need in order to in order to figure this out and figure this out quick because they have um, Wichita, like you mentioned, and then two days, and then uh, on this, and then two days off on the schedule, and they have Tulane at home. So, what are you going to do? I mean, is is this the time that they can you know figure something out, move forward, or Right, You know, d- does the injuries and the depth, you know, really
2: well, and again, cause a problem? Get that first conference win and everybody can excel. Because what happens is the m- if you lose again, now it's like, it's just like an anchor, you know, it's this thing in your back. And it just carries and carries. Tulane's very good, by the way. They nearly beat LSU earlier this year. Uh, that will not be an easy game either. So I'm telling you, none of these will be. Yeah.
1: So you better yeah. bet they're licking their chops, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm.
2: is. That's the thing. Everybody smells blood.
0: Yep, yeah. All right. Well, let's keep, uh, We'll keep an eye on that one for you as well. But you know, the women at home, listen, they're gonna need some fan support too. I would love to see a crowd just like the men's team come for a women's game because that can make a huge difference, especially for them, you know. And hey, you just never know. You just never know. All right, we're gonna take we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk a little football. We have not touched yet upon Darren Hinshaw being named the offensive coordinator at UCF. What does that mean uh for UCF's offense and more specifically, what it means for Gus Malzahn, that and more. When we return, this is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Kyle Nash, Bryson Turner with you here. Uh coming up this coming this weekend. If you're heading down to Disney, make your way over to the uh wide rule of sports because the UCF cheerleading team is going for the UCA national championship. Once again, they are three-time champions, uh, national champions, and they're going for it again. Uh this uh weekend. Uh the uh, semis are on Saturday, the finals are on Sunday. And oh by the way, night moves, the dance team is also going for it. And they've had some uh by the way, they've been previewing both teams, have been previewing their national routines and have been hitting very solid coming in. So um, yeah, Linda Gooch looking to uh, newly minted UCF Hall of Famer. Linda Linda Gooch looking to hang another banner. For her program. So uh so we'll see. Uh uh they they, they never televise it live. Um, they televise it delayed, but you follow on Twitter and you know what's going on. So uh so best of luck to Coach Gooch, to everyone at the UCF cheer and dance team um coming forward. VarsityTV.com. Bryson Turner informs me is where everyone will be seeing that. But they they do the they do the tape delay television on uh, on ESPN. It's but sometimes it's like a month later, right? It's it's, uh, it's, it's quite out of there. But, of course, you go there live if you want. Um, all right. Let's talk about the people who our national championship, hopefully cheerleading team, cheers on quite a bit. And that's UCF football. Uh, big, big staff news that we didn't have the chance to, to talk about because you know, we were all kind of everywhere for the holidays. And, plus, I was sick. Darren Hinshaw is the new offensive coordinator for your UCF Knights. If his name sounds familiar, it should. He played quarterback here for four years, uh, from 1991 to 1994. Uh, Bryson and I talked with former UCF head coach Mike Kruzek uh, around the holidays. He talked briefly about Darren Hinshaw. We have a full breakdown of it on the site, including um, including the bit from um, coach uh, from coach Kruzek. But he's really, he, Darren has bounced around a lot. He was in Cincinnati, he was in Middle Tennessee a long time ago. He spent a while at Kentucky and uh, uh, and also at Tennessee. Uh, was most recently the offensive coordinator and play caller at UAB this past season, and that was the year after he was at UCF as an offensive or excuse me as a defensive analyst. He said in his press conference, working with the defensive staff. It's interesting for an offensive coach working with the defensive staff, but you know I think that that was actually quite helpful because he actually worked. Close with uh, T. Will and also UCF's new defensive coordinator, Addison Williams. All right. So uh, Hinshaw comes back. He is the offensive coordinator at UCF at his alma mater. It's actually his fourth stint at UCF. He was a quarterback coach under Kruzek, Of course, he was a player before that. And then the analyst bit. And now this is his fourth, uh, fourth stint at his alma mater. But this is by far the most responsibility he's had since he was the quarterback actually out there on the field. He said it was his dream job. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you can, be, you can certainly believe it. And coach Malzahn was quite clear, um, Eric Lopez about the fact that, um, that he was, you know, he wanted a guy who said, who he said he could, who could develop quarterbacks and push the ball a little bit more vertically down the field. And this falls in, and the hiring of Hinshaw certainly falls in line with that. Although, if you look at the numbers of the teams that he's coached, they've certainly been more, a lot more rush heavy, especially in at Kentucky. But Hinshaw has a very diverse offensive background as well. Uh, and in addition to that, here's the thing Darren Hinshaw is going to call the plays now. And that's a big change. Uh, Coach Malzon said about midway through the year, he decided that you know, calling plays is just going to be too much. He wanted to offload some of that and focus more on some of the more CEO type um, uh, issues that, uh, and, and tasks at UCF. And so it was difficult for Gus to do that, but he decided to hand, hand it off. I mean, he's been calling plays ever since he was a high school coach at Arkansas. And, and, and now Hinshaw is going to do it. So your reaction to the hire, what's it mean?
2: I I think it's great. Uh, Credit to all sides for making it for Gus to, Hey, saying, you know what? I got too much on my plate in today's college football world. It's crazy with all the portal stuff and everything you're going to follow. And you bring in a guy in Darren Henshaw. I mean, you mentioned it. The two issues that I think you could say from UCF offensive standpoint, not enough vertical passing game. Well, Darren Henshaw knows all about that. Nobody. I mean, you and Bryson spoke to Mike Kruzik, his old coach, his old coordinator, uh, who was a th- knew was a thing or two about vertical passing game. So I'm excited about that. Developing quarterbacks. I definitely think Darren Henshaw is needed for that. I personally don't believe the quarterbacks were really that developed well last year. I think that'll be fixed now. I also like the fact Darren Hinshaw is not a guy that has an ego, and he said in the press conference, "I'm okay, talk, you know, working with people and ideas." So while he will call plays, look, don't let's not make make any bones about it. This will still be Gus Malzahn's offense. He may not call the plays, but they're not going to all of a sudden run a completely different offense than they've been running now yeah yeah guess, we're not going
0: back we're not going back to the air raid anytime soon is right what I'm <laughs> but i like
2: that and remember he was with gus's staff gus a couple years ago and i think that made an impression on gus i like the fact that it's an alum i think that will i i can tell you it's generate a lot of excitement from maybe some of the older ucf fan base uh maybe not and and i do think one thing i've learned because we have this hire and we have the baseball hire one thing i've learned about these two hires there is definitely a divide on the fan base there is the The older demographic that's been there for a long time that kind of appreciates guys like this. And then uh, there's a few fans that, you know, showed up in 2017 that think, you know, we should be getting, you know, names that we have no realistic. (coughs) Bryson. Anyway, uh, what? (laughs) Oh,
1: boy. Uh, Shots fired.
2: I hope this, if in his show works out, I think, and we'll get to the baseball one later, I think this could unite those two fan bases combined. Because I do think there's a bit of a divide there as far as how they're thinking when you show up when you've shown up five six years ago you think you should go undefeated every year where's the older demographic i I think this is I like the higher lot hinshaw's proven he's coached in the SEC so i I'm a fan of this
0: Kyle what are your impressions
1: you know i I really think the issue for me and yes I'm saying issue I, listen if I have to go to UCF historians to tell me what the chances of success that this Individual could provide as a coach, we're already in trouble. Um, you know the, the coaching resume and the coaching talent in the room we don't exactly know yet, because there's a jump that needs to be made to 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 the Power Five and the Big Twelve here. You know, a conference that, albeit while they were completely waxed in the uh, uh, in the title game, was in fact in the title game. And then I hear the adorable sentiment of, "We're gonna go down the field more." Oh, that's adorable. Um, Listen, I know a lot of people may want to see that, but at this time, the way this team is made up, there is going to have to be some heavy recruiting for that to happen. And we've had the conversations on this show about the beef and the turnover that's taking place and the turnover that must happen to um, bring that line even back to where it was last year and they had their share of struggles. At the end of the day, the running back room, despite the departure of Isaiah Bowser, who looks great at hula bowl practice, by the way, um, is is going to be tough, but still palatable. The, the adjustment of the receivers is going to be relatively low, especially with transfers that have come in. But at the end of the day, you have a guy um, in John Rice Plumlee who's not known for his, his arm, but his legs. And right now, the cupboard is relatively bare of guys that are proven to have big arms at this level. Um, so that is a big baffling question mark to me. I do enjoy the fact that Gus is talking about having somebody playing the calls and understanding that he's a fundraiser. Now I, I do appreciate that sentiment and listen, there have been guys who have gotten out of coaching that are Gus's age and, and, and that have left the, uh, the craft because of, they have to be fundraisers and recruiters more than exes no guys nowadays. But um I I I'm not sure it's right to be completely um what's his word out on these hirings. But um by the same token, I'm not exactly sure what there is to be excited about. Um and and really for the promises being delivered here. I need a lot more of substance on the how that's going to happen, which we don't have yet. We'll have to wait for the recruiting season to truly end, for spring practice to happen. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot more we need to see and know, obviously, before we can make a definitive answer. But if fans are skeptical, I do not blame them.
0: Well, I mean, let me ask you this though, and, and Eric, I want to get get your input on this too. You, Eric, you always said that you're a big fan of balance, right? Hinshaw at UAB last year, all right? And, and let's throw let's throw the Kentucky timeout because it was, you know, it, it was weird with with Mark Stoops, but last year UAB set the following school records, total yards in a game over uh, close to 5700. They averaged 438 yards per game, but set a new school record with 3000 total rush yards. They averaged 235 on the ground per game and 200 through the air. All right. Um, Again, it's a it was still a run heavy offense there. And and he's going to be coaching what is at least right now being built as a run heavy offense. Now. Now, my question for both of you guys is. Is that because. It's built that way and this is what Gus wants to do, or is that because of a number of other factors, for example, the defense did not force a lot of turnovers last year. Gus likes to take shots right after turnovers, right? He wants to get those extra possessions and put you up against the wall. And the other thing was you know in the second half of the year, when we had all those road games, you know I mean let, let's take Gus at his word here, you know maybe it what it, it, it did kind of get a little overwhelming, and when you're kind of and when you're in that mode, you keep going back to what you're comfortable with because you know that's 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 what works for you, and maybe hinshaw's that new set of eyes out there that can that can see some things that maybe Gus just it, 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 his peripheral vision was kind of. It was you know, kind you of was he was having eye. trouble.
2: You can never have enough eyes, yeah.
0: I mean, it's eyes. and and you and just and just somebody else you just looks at it from a different perspective, well, right? And let
2: me de- let me defend Darren here and mm-hmm. kind of object to uh Kyle's there. He's talking about recruiting. Oh,
0: oh, oh, consternation. Give me more. Go well, well. Drew's not here, so
2: I mean, somebody has to pick up the slack. Um, look, <laughs> I mean, uh, look, yes, recruiting is a big factor. You're uh, all of that, what you said is true, Kyle. I don't, I, I love how people are dismissing him like at Kentucky, like somehow, like he helped turn around that program. Sure. The reason they were not a juggernaut on offense is because who Jeff said the head coach was. It wasn't because Henshaw was, you know, head coaches, and people got to remember this, coordinators for the most part do whatever the head coach wants them to do. Mark Stoops is a defensive guy. By the way, if you look at Kentucky's last bowl game, they scored as many points as Kyle did in the bowl game season this year, zero against Iowa. <laughs> so let's not act like Kentucky's flourished since he left. And I remember this, Jeff, this is a hunt, man. It seems like a million years ago. You were on the radio when Kentucky started to rise. Remember they were getting kids in Florida. This was towards Yeah. You'll you, I, you know, we won't mention the stations or whatever you were on the show.
0: And we can mention it for the old for the old well, folks out there. Was
2: it Gary Cole? Would you want know, or Station? <laughs> I mean Gary Cole.
0: No, 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 no. I was with you guys at 1080.
2: It anyway. was, but it was even before. Like, they Kentucky was starting to get guys in Florida, and the big topic was, would it matter? They're a basketball school. Well, Darren Hinchall was a big part of that turnaround. Kentucky. It wasn't you know, and that helped them get talent and players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kentucky's cap, but people are dismissing. Like people always like to look at numbers, but they don't look at the impact a guy can make in a program. And Kyle. He's recruited in the SEC. That's what I want. Did we not just see the Monday national title game? Uh, we saw an SEC team against the Big 12 team. Give me the SEC players. Give me a, any SEC guys you want. I think he could help them recruit, and I think he can help develop quarterbacks. I'm willing to I, – I like, and I don't know who else you would want. People were saying, Scott Frost, that was never going to happen.
0: That was That's, never going to People worked to themselves
2: happen. into a work. Like yes, where there's certain prominent people that try to maybe, hey, you know, you know, maybe you guys should talk and you know, yeah, sure. You know, it's kinda like when you have a divorced parents and the kids like, hey, why you guys talk it out? And they talk it out and they still, now nah, we're good. We're doing, you know, it's good. It was never gonna happen. And I think people work themselves up. I think he's a really good hire. I like the hire a lot. I really do. Uh look, he's gotta prove it though. To your point, Kyle, I get it. You gotta prove it. But I don't know who people like I don't know what your answer is as far as who you want.
1: Well, I'll grant you this much. First of all, before you t- uh, decide to throw Kentucky in, under the bus, losing to Iowa in a bowl game, you already have forgotten they beat Iowa last year in a bowl game right here in town, which I was at, sir. And before you accuse people of not looking at numbers, perhaps <laughs> that's one you should look at, they had a 1,300-yard, near 1,400-yard rusher in that game in question. But please, let's throw Mark Stoops under the bus as he beats the most uh, or the oldest active coach in the damn sport, Who's wow, pretty good? Mark two. Stoops' defender. I love this. No, I'm just a defender <laughs> of the SEC, and they were dominant there. By the way, this wow. past year, if you're going to look at that, Mister, I don't want to look at numbers. Can you look at their schedule a minute? Brutal. Okay, so you're making my point. Then just
2: that that you did a good job. Part of that staff there when they were turning the uh, winning bowl games, starting to win bowl games. He was there for the beginning. There was of that. nothing
1: he could have done on the staff this year against that schedule. Oh, so oh, making that argument completely asinine. Right. Right. So. Here's where we're at. I love all these accolades you're telling me about about other places, but you're really going to walk the SEC in here and tell me that this line here at UCF become a fraction of anything he had? Sir, I'm glad we don't have an HR department. You'd be tested for drugs. That's my call. That's what my you, call, by the way. <laughs> who do you want? Give me, but who would
2: you have wanted, Kyle? Like I, That's the part I don't like.
1: And see, now that is your best offense. And here's where I'm at. For all we've been told by coaches, Elo, about how much better um, recruiting and reputation have gotten moving to the Power Five, like this is the best you had on the short list. Now, what I think happened, to your point, I'm not sure that, that Gus was as prepared for Chip Lindsey to leave um, as he was. With um with T Will, a- and everybody listen, we all know when when Gus hired T Will to be part of his staff as his defensive coordinator that he was going to be an up and comer. When they did what they did earlier in the season and the buzz started, we knew it would happen even sooner. And when the defense trailed off, we were kind of fooled for a minute that it wouldn't, and it still did anyway. But the punchline's this: from moment one, we knew that T Will is going to be a rising star. The guy that used to be at Troy. Wasn't really sure he was going to move, and then he did. So I think there's an element of surprise there. Also, perhaps perhaps the next person on the list that he was looking for, maybe he got a nubble, a couple no's on the way. I, I don't know about that either. The process took a little longer than we thought it would, and maybe it's because some Zoom calls just didn't go the way that, that you know, Gus would have wanted them to, you know. So I, I think the biggest problem I have is you're coming out here promising down the field when you ain't got the personnel for it. And if you know that, how is he going to try to promise that? It it makes me question Kyle, 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 hold on.
2: I think you're over kind of reacting to his comments. Like, you've done many of these conferences, press conferences, NFL, college. What do you want him to say? Hey, guys, we're not going to throw it downfield. We're going to just run. Like, that's what everybody says. You
1: could use nebulous terms on trying to build up the uh, offense by using words such as explosive, creative, innovative. You specifically marked a tactic in your speech, and I've been in enough press conferences to know other coaches that know better than to make that mistake. Well,
0: out. well, well let me, hold on. Let me, let me stop you on that, and I don't want to go to Bryson because he has a point, and and he said Eric called him out, and he wants to call Eric back out. So <laughs> um, the what Gus did say was I needed a guy with some fresh new ideas, and I found him, in Darren Hinshaw. It. Is that not, like, what you're talking about right there?
1: Great. Have some fresh new ideas, but don't promise down the field. You can't deliver on it today. You can be fresh in how you do run games. Look at Sean McVay in the NFL. Granted, oh, I'm too good to do a rebuild, so I might leave. But that's a, that. listen, that's a different show for a different podcast. I get that. But... You could be innovative with the run game. Kyle Shanahan in the NFL, Sean McVay in the NFL. Find me an SEC coach that doesn't do innovative-ish with the run. Kirby Smart called. He said Bennett doesn't do everything for that offense, okay? Listen, there's there there. You don't promise down the field to this fan base because they're going to want it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Bryson, come in and, and like sort this out, please.
3: Okay. So first of all, Eric. One, Uh-oh. I oh, was, oh I was oh boy, here he comes. Born Darren Henshaw was the quarterback coach at UCF 2000. All right, I want to make I want to make that clear real quick. One well, thanks
0: for making us feel I, old again. No,
3: All right. I keep he you was guys in check. It's what I do. So, so he's a quarterback <laughs> coach. Yes, so, look, that's, so that's what that's Bryson said. As someone that has come into this around that time. One thing that I remember that I have saw a lot of people want is they want to see UCF people come back. That is one thing that I've seen a lot people people wanted Mackenzie Milton to give to be a, to be a coach on this staff. That's one thing I've noticed is that people want UCF coaches to come back to their alma mater. They want people that are invested. In this program, why do you think they were annoyed about when Scott Frost and Josh Heupel left? It's because they just jetted to the next power five job they can get with, with so far with Gus and then with Hinshaw, because of his history, you have people that are invested in the success of this program. And then as far as the change goes, I mean, you mentioned the down the field stuff That I think that could be the, the kind of kick in the teeth or uh, refreshment that this offense needed. John Rice Plumley, like you said, isn't really known for throwing down the field. So will the quarterback competition open back up with Tommy Castellanos? I think that Hinshaw will be able to make those changes with the play calls. And we could see a UCF offense next season that has the Gus flavorings, because as we all know, Gus is amazing with creativity on the offense. But from a more play-to-play perspective, we have a change on that offense that can make it a better one than it was last season.
0: Well, let me put it to uh, and real quick to Eric and Kyle here, just kind of rapid fire. All right. So one other thing that Hinshaw said that Bryson, you mentioned, um, he said that it's uh, that basically the doors open at the quarterback spot. He wants competition. So let's put you guys on the record right now on this uh, 12th day of January, 2023. Who's going to be the starter? For that uh, for that opening uh, for that opening game, do you think right now will it be will it be John Rice Plumley? Could we see Tommy Castellanos finally get the ball? Could it be Timmy McClain? Um, where where are you thinking right now, Eric? We'll start with you.
2: I'll stick with Plumley. And by the way, real quick on the Bryson point about Mackenzie Milton wanting to be a coach, H- Darren Hinshaw was Mackenzie Milton of UCF in the '90s. That's the irony of that. We we actually did that. So but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go plumbly. But I, well Dante Culpepper played
0: in the nineties too, Eric.
2: Well I'm man. saying pre-call. If you before call, I'm saying this guy <laughs> was really good. Like I think you could argue he's the fifth yeah, he, was, he was the school's all-time leading passer yeah. until Dante showed up. Yeah. I think it's exciting. We got a UCF guy. That's a great point, Bryce. Let's all like root for the guy. I'm gonna go plumbly uh there. But uh but to start because he is the more experienced one.
1: Kyle. I don't think he's in the building yet. Woo Man,
2: Kyle's bringing it to the segment. Here. Man, I
0: Kyle's, Kyle's Kyle either that or he's in a mood. Did he like? St- did he like steal the bad mood from you, Eric? What is going on here?
1: <laughs> After talking about you know uh women's basketball in
3: that situation, you know that's I a- see. Ya.
0: He's mad. At you. Oh, okay. Kyle's just
3: Kyle's just trying to go to be to be the next Eric Lopez. It comes it out. Though.
0: Okay. You know, I like this. We're mixing it up today on the show. This is fantastic. All right. Well,
1: actually, you know, it's, it's Elo trying to talk SEC football and it not going well for him. I'll be
0: off. All. <laughs> all right. Well, that, well I, let me, let me pull that non-sequitur back here and <laughs> congratulations to the, the deputy minister of the non-sequitur. Um, another guy who's a former UCF player, who's gone into coaching, who's invested in the program, also named an assistant coach this time for UCF baseball. And if you'd followed UCF in the majors, you know, his name really well, Mike Murath, uh, pitched for a number of years in the majors was drafted actually out of UCF to go to the majors. He's just, you know, one of the great pitchers in UCF history. And now he is coming back and filling that pitching coach spot. Um, and we'll take over, um, you know, where for that, for Greg, uh, and we'll take over in that spot underneath Greg Lovelady. Um, we interviewed Mike Morath, Eric, uh, several years ago. 2018, he spent yeah. 2018. He spent a long time in his career developing pitchers, and probably his, you know, magnum opus, if you will, was working with those young Braves pitchers. Uh, yeah, we who, who, young who went Braves, on?
2: Yeah, we should ask the Braves fan in the room here, Mr. Bryson Turner. Here, yeah, who who, about that far? Yeah,
0: and, and by and by the way, you know. It, it, really tutored those guys on their path to becoming key cogs in the Braves uh, pitching staff and the team that won the world series. And uh, and I think that, uh, that, you know, you could talk about, oh, well, he's, you know, a familiar name, but, you know, I think similar to Henshaw, you know, Mike's got some, some clout behind him here. And I think he's going to bring some, uh, uh, I think he's going to uh, bring some really interesting new things to the pitching staff this year when they get started here, which will be, you know, in a few weeks it's a home run
2: I mean well I don't know if you can use a pitching hire since use the, the word well you run. don't want
0: to use strikeout Jesus
2: but I don't know what you use uh but it's a heck of a hire considering for those that I'll allow tried, home
0: run hire I'll allow him run higher
2: all right very yeah. good but it's a heck of a hire considering you're about a month before the season your pitching coach Nick Gotti leaves to go to the minors you're thinking what is he gonna do and he brings Mike Marath who's regarded as one of the best minor league pitching coaches I mean when that news leaked by Kendall Rogers, D1 Baseball, there were baseball Braves fans and they were b- former players. They're like, "Man, that's a, uh, I can't believe it!" Like, that's Braves a fingers, good get, yeah. Right. That, thats a, i mean, Bryson, you're a Braves guy. A lot of Braves fans were mad when this news came out.
3: Oh yes, they were. Like, you got to understand the type of guy they're losing here. First of all, he's been the pitching coach for Triple A Gwinnett for a few years now, but. During his time with the Braves, he's worked with the likes of major league pitchers like Ian Anderson, Joey Wentz, Kyle Muller, Bryce Wilson, Bryce Elder, and the granddaddy of them all, the 2022 MLB wins leader, Kyle Wright. This is the type of of guy, he he worked with all those guys, and now he's going to be coming down to uh, to his alma mater. But one aspect of his job description that I think is very interesting is when he initially joined the Braves, because he started his coaching career with the Tigers organization. He first came to the Braves as a minor league rehab pitching coordinator in 2016, 2017. And I find this aspect interesting because what has been one issue that this UCF pitching staff has had over these past several seasons now? It's injured pitchers. Connors. That one. Connors. (laughs) Connors. Yeah, Connor Stane, Colton Gordon. I mean, last the injuries. And then, of course, Zach Bennett and Nick Vieira were both relief pitchers that were out last year with injury that I think arguably really hurt their bullpen. To have somebody that has worked with these minor league pitchers on rehabbing and effectively rehabbing is huge for a staff like this. And I would argue, by the way, that this should be called a knuckleball hire because considering the timing that this has happened, this was a a move that I think that was very... This one broke late is what you're saying. Exactly. It's so different. it's what... It exactly. Power, because Nick Right. Exactly. It's a change. I think that they need it. And I think that it's a brilliant move. When you lose a pitching coach like Nick Otte to the professional system in the minor leagues, you go to the minor leagues to bring your next guy in and for such a fast turnaround. So absolutely brilliant hire.
0: Yeah. Um. Here's what I think is an interesting part about his resume here. Uh, in 2015, the Braves uh, – he w- he was with the Braves as their minor league rehab pitching
3: coordinator. Yeah, I just said yeah, – yeah, I just said Yeah, that.
0: And like you said. And so, like you said, you know, all the injuries – wow. I mean, that's – this is a guy who knows how to prevent those injuries from hopefully, recurring.
2: Hopefully. And again, and again, I'm going to – again, it sounds like a broken record. When that hire was announced, man, there was a lot of baseball alums, UCF baseball people with – Honestly, some of them, you yeah, know, I'm not thrilled with Greg. Guess they haven't made the tournament in a few years. There was an overwhelming excitement about that. And there's just something about it. A former player and alum coming back that people are going to get behind, especially in sports like baseball. Uh, I think people are going to get behind Murath. He's got the credibility. It's going to be interesting. He's only literally got a month to prepare to get to know these pitchers. I would assume Greg, who used to be a pitching coach himself, and obviously a catcher in Miami was a pitching coach when he was at Wright State, at one point, he'll help Mike kind of speed up on that.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: I, I'm, I'm just I'm love that hire a lot. And will whenever we do, we'll talk to Greg. Obviously, as we get closer to season, Greg's been very involved with the alumni. He's helped bring a lot of them back, especially players from the Bergman era, with you know, and Mike Moroff being one of them. Of and I wonder if that maybe helped Greg in a tough situation like this knowing, oh, I know Mike Murrock. They probably have spoken. They probably know each other, alumni events, et cetera. He knows what Mike's been doing with the Braves. That might've been an easier hire than we think. We'll find out when we talk to him, but it's a great hire.
0: Yeah, I will say that of all the UCF sports, the one that I think might have the tightest alumni network is baseball. Yeah, in terms of like, you, you know, who you can go to in a pinch to find someone to help out. Baseball has always remained tight. Always remain tight, even post Bergman. And
3: especially
0: I think that's since key. Greg's
2: arrival, especially yeah. since Greg. Greg and Greg's been job.
0: key in, in in keeping that network intact. And
2: know? that's important. I know it's a theme throughout. We've mentioned it with the basketball fans. Mentioned it with Henshaw. You're going to the Big Twelve. You're going to need that support on uh, uh, in the stands, but you're also mm-hmm. going to need it behind the scenes. When you're going he, into the Big Twelve. And
0: you you're gonna need and if you're gonna win in the Big Twelve, you're gonna need Major League talent and you're gonna need somebody who knows how to coach major league talent. And that's exactly what Mike Maroth is. So uh congrats to Mike. Looking forward to seeing what he can do with the staff this year. Um UCF baseball just uh you know a couple weeks away from getting ready to start. All right. We'll come back. We've got a few more things just to wrap up here on the black and gold banner podcast. We have a UCF women's soccer player getting drafted in the NWSL a couple other things to talk about as well stick around we'll be back this is the black and gold banner at podcast welcome back to the black and gold banner at podcast jeff sharon here along with kyle nash eric lopez and bryson turner We're just gonna wrap things up here before we go uh guess what it is track and field season the indoor track and field season is getting underway this weekend ucf heads to Gainesville for the jimmy Carnes. Invitational, So we will actually see the full range of the team out there, not just the cross country and distance runners as they get as they get started on um, their season. By the way, their schedule um, this year, they have uh, well several uh, invitationals uh, up in Gainesville that they're going to go to. Uh, but uh, again, you're going to the indoor season, which goes from January 13th is Jimmy Carnes Invitational at Gainesville. Uh, until uh, February 24th. So basically, a month and a half long indoor season. NCAA indoor championships are in the beginning of March, March 10th through 11th. And then the outdoor season begins right after that. St. Patrick's Day, March 17th is the Black and Gold Invitational. And that's when UCF hosts some outdoor events uh, to start that half of the track and field schedule. Uh, coming up here at UCF, one more football game to start 2023. The Hula Bowl. Six UCF nights will be there. Uh, the game kicks off on Saturday at noon. Uh, Isaiah Bowser, Sam Jackson, Alex Ward, Kamari Gamble, Newt Wilson, and Anthony Montabo will all play. <clears throat> the uh, and the Hula Bowl, which of course is you know, traditionally the, the college all-star game that played in Hawaii, but UCF is hosting it while they um, work on Aloha Stadium out there where at least the, uh, or at least the, the time being, uh, and along with a number of other talented players. And Bryson, you were at the uh, practices. And, you know, Kyle, you mentioned this before we came on the air. You know, the, with college all star games, the real, the real meat and potatoes is the practices. That's when the NFL scouts show up. That's when, not just the NFL scouts, <clears throat> but let's, you know, let's also give some love out to CFL. Is out there, we've had a number of players go to the CFL, the USFL and the XFL. Correct. Okay. Don't forget them. All right. And we got yes. a team here in town, the Orlando Guardians now, right,
1: Kyle? Yes, sid by former UCFSID uh Andy Seely as well. Also, I saw shirts from the Rhine Fire, the European Leagues kicking back up, too. That's right.
0: And they bought the they bought the marks for the, the trademarks, I believe, for the old NFL Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I yeah saw that. they took it and they there's like because I saw like, oh, the Barcelona Dragons are back.
1: Yes. Yeah, and they they took the logos and made them a little fresher. Listen, you could have a whole uniform discussion with our own Andrew Glukov as he'll lose his mind. I think they uh, tightened up the Rhine Fire logo at the very not late.
0: not not on this particular show. Thank heavens. No one wants to hear that. But um <laughs> but Bryson. What'd you see out there in those, in those practices that kind of, you know, and, and I think Kyle, you were out there too, right? Yes. what do you guys see out there that, that kind of, you know, kind of made, made you stand up and take notice. Well, Kyle, go ahead. You first.
1: Well, from the UCF perspective, it's very interesting observing, you know, some of the guys in play, like um, I remember, you know, for me, the big thing when I walked in on Monday, Isaiah Bowser may not be the biggest back, but he moves like the smaller backs. Um, and has more size than them, obviously. Right. And, and, and I, the big part of it for him is going to be show off that uh, to show off that versatility. You've heard me say a bazillion times on this podcast and, uh, on night shift on the black and gold banner direct YouTube channel as well. And, and just the versatility that's in place with not only him catching the pass. And, and, and running the football, but bl- pass blocking as well. And, and listen, the, in the NFL, one thing holds clear, no block, no rock, especially at the running back position. Sam Jack look, look, looks about as tight as he should in the trenches there. But for me, Anthony Montalvo coming in here, he it was a late addition, came into practice, I think, for the first time today, as a matter of fact. And uh, was in drills against a Notre Dame offensive lineman and stood him entirely up. It was a thing to behold. If you're watching for UCF players, that I, guy
0: we're gonna miss him next year. He was a problem.
1: Yeah, 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 and and but hey, listen, look at it this way: expect a lot of hashtag built by UCF um, uh, throughout the coming camps here with those guys. Do I think they'll make the uh, be involved in the draft necessarily? No, I, I don't. I don't know that they'll get drafted. But um, we'll be following them, and I think Bowser. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, Bryson. But Bowser said I think he had nine
3: NFL teams contact him. That sounds about uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, oh, my
0: the, Giants are one of them. We could use a nice. Uh, we could use a good backup to spell uh, Saquon Barkley here and there, just in case <laughs> the Dolphins keep
2: the. Can use a running back. Period. Actually, oh, the Dolphins, Dolphins
0: could use
3: Isaiah we Need
2: him Sunday. Is he available Sunday? We could, you know, anybody, you know.
3: <laughs> well, it's actually very interesting because one thing that Bowser was talking about, he said he was actually going to be going to train after the hula bowl. He's going to go train in Las Vegas, apparently, where his agent is. Um, one other aspect about NFLs, if you go back to our video on the Black and Gold Banner at YouTube channel, we talked to Alex Ward after the first practice on Monday. And it actually took him a while for him to get over to us because he had a pretty lengthy conversation with a scout from the Bucks. he said in that video. so. But all re- and, of course, we, we t- he talked about being invited to Combine as a long snapper, which is a pretty huge deal that he got yeah. invited for that. So, I, you know, th- there's a lot more people in the Hula Bowl this season after last year when it was just KZ and Cole. And they're, they're all on the same team, too, Team Ina. And it's very intriguing to see how many of them are in there. Anthony Montalvo just got added to the roster on Wednesday night. He had his first mm-hmm. practice on thir- Thursday and just to be able to have this um, the I guess the impact these different voices you you'd co- coach you and also meet you as well the UCF players weren't specifically doing this but it was very but I noticed that there was people that were there were people that were handing out slash trading team decals with each other there was one UConn linebacker that had helmet decals from like App State in Virginia when he never ever played for them before so it's a really interesting environment to be in and I think it's a very I think used useful and enriching environment for these UCF players as they move on to the next phase of their football careers or all
0: yeah, I, it's it, this is where the NFL draft season starts to ramp up. It's funny how early it happens now, right? Mid-January, but here we go. I mean, it's uh, um, this is going to be fun to see. Um, by the way, speaking of moving on to the next level, some news that dropped right before we actually started recording this podcast from the world of women's soccer. Kristen Scott, UCF women's soccer star, has been drafted, and she will be staying home with the Orlando Pride. She goes 41st overall, um, and uh, I mean, this is, you know, what more can you possibly say? It's going to be great to see Kristen remaining at home. She was so instrumental for UCF, really, in her entire time here. 33 career goals, um, sixth all-time in program history. Eric, this is, it's great. You know, we love to see, keep our, the talent in-house uh, or in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the local area. You know, I mean, she, she could possibly draw some people to the Pride as well. You know, she's not the only UCF player who's played for them. Mary um,
2: Lawrence was with them,
0: right? Yeah, and as well, so yeah. And and she, and and let's face it, you know, she's a real she. She knows how to put the ball in the back of the net,
2: and that's something the Pride need, uh, among others. So that might be a good fit. I think she'll have an opportunity there. And you're right that that's some good pub for that franchise. And I'm just happy for her, obviously. Had a monster year. Had an injury during the season, and uh, worked herself into playing here professionally, which was it was her goal. So, by the uh, way, that that
0: I thought that the time when she was out, Eric, that that showed like exactly how instrumental she was to that team because they just they were listless without her on offense, and when she came back, even just even if she didn't score a goal, her presence on the field, you know, was instrumental in keeping UC, in keeping UCF in games and getting UCF to where they got this year. Last point on that, Bryson.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to say, I, I think it's honestly, the irony of this is hilarious to me because I remember talking to Kristen for my profile that I did on her, the football and go during the <clears> during <throat> the season. Thank you, Kyle. And she mentioned how when she was initially going to college, she did not, she wanted to get out of here. She wanted to get out of Orlando, and now not only did she play for her hometown college team, but she's now playing for her the local NWSL team. So the 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 hometown hero that Kristen has really turned into is honestly amazing to witness. And after you know her time at UCF Women's Soccer, where she is sixth all time in career goals and fit and fit and fifth all time for in game winning goals, it, to see her stay at home is amazing to see. Yeah.
0: Edgewater high school graduate. And uh, I think what says it all is, I don't know. I I can't remember who put this into her bio. When you look at her bio on UCF or the fifth year, it lists all these bullet points, all these records and awards and honors. And the very last one, good at soccer. Kristen Scott
2: (laughs) is good at soccer. And by the way, the family's got to be excited because her sister Kaylee's on the UCF team and might likely have a role next year in trying to replace her sister.
0: Gee, they're going to be uh, back and forth between uh, between downtown and here quite a bit next Sounds year like a that story happens. idea,
2: Bryson. Sounds like a Bryson story idea. Guys. Yeah,
0: it's not, that very much does sound like a Bryson Turner special. Here's an Eric Lopez special. Speaking <laughs> of players who are special, Jada Cody. We're going to wrap with this. D1softball.com called Eric Lopez, and they have UCF Softball's Jada Cody ranked the number 14 best player in the nation. NFCA second team all-region. AEC first-team all-conference after 2022, and we're approaching softball time, Eric, but this is, uh, you know, Jada's going to start getting some real attention, not just locally. We've already talked about that many a times on this podcast and on our site, but nationally, people are going to take notice of Jada Cody now
2: she's the face of the program i mean you look at this where we've been here i've called it the golden era mckenna melville has been the face of volleyball Raniah jones currently the face of track and field um you know you could say Kristen scott maybe was the face of women's soccer this past year as you just mentioned and jade has been the is the face of the program which is unique uh because usually the program has been the face has been a pitcher but you know other than stephanie maybe but right now it's her and she's tremendous she plays all the positions well deserved she was a honored as an all-american by d1 and softball american last year and uh is a player that transcends i mean i've had people come up to me and ask me about her she's played this past fall with the u.s national team uh so she's going to be in their system for a while uh for the u.s uh, national team so i mean it's a well-deserved ranking there obviously and uh re- real proud of her and uh, i know she's excited to even have a better year than her historic year last year
0: we're now less than one month away eric yeah! Let's go. Black and gold classic, go, Georgia, Bryce, yeah. georgia February 9th. Rematch
2: the of, of the diamond. Year. That's right.
1: The Duke of hit. the Diamond is hype, boys. You don't have
2: to worry about a vertical game on the softball in there, Kyle. There we go. go. You don't go. You uh But yeah, softball around the corner. Baseball, I mean, it's going to be getting really busy. Tennis gets going next week. Be on the lookout. YouTube channel, right? Pricing. We're going to have tennis previews next week. We had John Roddick. We recorded with him. We might air that on the pod where we talked movies. Speaking of we tar- Jeff, you wanted movie content? Uh, we provided that with John Roddick. Uh, I was gonna say
0: someone's gonna have to fill in for 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 uh for Brian, like you know, all these years later.
1: Come on, I'm in the room, dang it.
0: <laughs> no, nah, if I want if I want if I want something from you, it, it, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good dad joke. It's gonna have to be that, you know.
2: By the way, salute to Kyle Nash. Or It'll a be- bing. A salute to Kyle, by the way. He will be covering the National Football League wildcard. The game of the weekend in the playoffs. It's not that nonsense in Tampa. That's not definitely not the game in Buffalo. That's a that's a scrimmage. No, he's gonna be at the game of the week in Jacksonville for the LA Chargers against Two
0: quarterbacks with brilliant hair. Fair.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, Justin Herbert
0: and Trevor Lawrence, two of the two young quarterbacks with brilliant hair going at it. It is a it's going to be a non stop per commercial.
1: And, and you know, if it all goes well, granted, he's he suffered through injury, but if there's a playoff win in Jacksonville in Duval, uh, Shaquille Griffin will once again be the member of a playoff winning franchise,
0: yeah. And by the way, he's not the only UCF player who's going to be uh, in the NFL playoffs getting things underway. Are by the way.
1: Where can we find out, more details,
2: Jeffrey.
0: We can find more details courtesy of our new member of black and gold Banneret, at Nick Porcelli, who is, who joined us this week. Uh, he's a UCF student and uh, he actually went through the NFL regular season uh, and the uh, excellent performances from UCF players recapped all those. And he previewed the NFL playoffs. The UCF alumni will be in the NFL playoffs. Shaquille Griffin, obviously one of them, of course, everyone looking forward to see what Gabe Davis does for the Buffalo bills. Remember what he did the last time he was on the field for an NFL playoff game, he set a new NFL record with four touchdown catches in one game in that unreal thriller in Kansas City. Even though he came out on the losing end of that one, it was really an amazing performance. So we'll see what he's able to do with Josh Allen, who I think will who I think will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. That's just me, though. Well, maybe not me. Though not just me. Maybe yeah, a couple. Of people, you guys actually. might. Yeah, a lot of people.
1: Actually, but, I, I am on record on the Student of the Game podcast agreeing with you, Jeff. Just for the record. Um, yeah. By the way, as a side note, Gabe, Dave, Gabe Davis also officially has currently the long play, longest play of this NFL season. Was it a vertical right. pass? Well, which which one was it? Um, it? I I believe it was yards after the catch rather than a vertical pass. Sir. Okay, just check.
0: Whatever, <laughs> we'll take it. All right, and that'll take us to the end as we as we run after the catch right to the end of this show uh thanks to kyle the sotg on twitter thanks to eric eric lopez hila thanks to bryson it's bryson turner follow our new guy nick porcelli he's at nick porcelli two the number two nick porcelli also don't forget to follow uh andrew glukov stat boy drew we got some amazing photos from our amazing photographers especially from that thriller in memphis we'll be pumping those out on our instagram channel instagram.com slash black and gold Banneret. follow us collectively on twitter UCF Banneret underscore SBN. Don't forget our YouTube channel. We can see all the latest interviews, especially from the Hula Bowl participants from UCF, youtube.com uh, slash black and gold Banneret as well. Uh, what am I missing? Oh yeah. Facebook.com slash black and gold Banneret. We're everywhere on social media here on this platform. And we really appreciate you guys following us, listening to this podcast. If you, uh, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on whatever platform, your choice, Apple or Android. Uh, make sure you tell your UCF friends about us as well, because we love to hear. Because I'm, you know, look, there's a lot of content we're going to be talking about in the next year. This is the biggest year of UCF sports coming up. Eric, what do you think? Maybe ever moving to the Big Twelve?
2: Yeah, we still got a lot of stuff to go here. In the we next still got, few months, we got we're gonna have
0: a lot of we're gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about over the summer. I was just thinking about you know, now that it's a new year, i was planning this out. We're gonna have to talk about the a new conference in every sport. To, the NCAA Division I transformation committees and how that's gonna recommendations, how that's gonna affect UCF. One of them, by the way, Bryson, you were really thrilled about this one. The volunteer coach position for and Eric, you too, for yeah, softball, baseball, and baseball. softball and baseball. No more, too. no more volunteer. They're adding a paid coach. Yeah. That's huge. Full time.
2: Our- yeah starting july of 23 that's significant softball and baseball have a fourth assistant this will impact also volleyball this impacts a lot of the different sports is that why drew's not here is drew just getting ready to apply for these jobs is that why he's not with us is that hopefully not not, but you know all right right, but no that's big that's a big significant news uh in the coaching that's going to really make this off season and all these sports uh like baseball and softball really significant because now you have an extra assistant to play with so that's big big news among everything
0: else, as we head into now less than six months away from July 1st, when UCF moves to the Big 12 Conference, we will cover every angle of it for you right here on the Black and Gold Banneret. For all of us here, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this weekend. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the NFL playoffs. Go Knights, nice, charge on. We'll Go get see you
1: it, next man. week.